All right, this is episode two of my crazy rants, where I go off about things I don't like about the Formula One industry the way it is, about the Formula One mainstream media complex that we have going on, and and my thoughts on the issues. So today I want to talk about something I'm really passionate about, and it's it's the thought of 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 how the mainstream media guides certain drivers into Formula One on this guise of quick. And by that I mean people, the mainstream media pundits in Formula One will say, well, that driver sure is quick. He deserves a seat in Formula One. You know, like Liam Lawson was, is proven to be very quick in the 2023 season. You heard that a lot. He's a very quick driver. And, you know, other drivers weren't as quick as him. And I just think we, we need to talk about that a little bit because the goal of Formula One and the, and the technical director's and the people involved in, in selecting drivers, they need to have a better metric, in my opinion, because quick to me means nothing. A lot of drivers are quick. Nick DeVries was quick, by the way. He's in the top like 1% of drivers in the world. Quick. Very quick. Rally drivers are quick. And good drivers at that. You know, why don't you just take everybody from rally? Get them to do rally part-time, and they can drive Formula One part-time. They're quick, right? Most F2 drivers are quick. Most F3 drivers are quick. F4, go on along the lines. The go-carters, everybody like that. Just because someone is quick or you label them as quick does not mean they deserve to be in Formula 1, per se. Some do. And I, and I get to that metric because I just think about something that was said the other day by Eddie Jordan on, on uh, it's the Formula for Success podcast. It's him and, and David Coulthard, and it's an excellent podcast spectacular podcast i recommend everybody watches it it's the only one i'm going to recommend by the way of uh, the other podcasts other than mine so we'll talk a, a bit about that but he said liam lawson well actually so first he said if you look at heinz Harold frenson versus michael schumacher back in the day and the they both were uh mercedes drivers or mercedes sports car drivers or mercedes test drivers back in the day. So there's no Mercedes Formula One team. There's the karting, and I think they had an F3 uh, component. And they said, if you looked at the stopwatch on it, Heinz Harold Frensen was faster than Michael. That is a bold, bold statement to say that the guy who ended up being the best driver of all time was actually slower technically than uh, his German counterpart, Heinz Harold Frensen, who never won a title. I think he only won three or four races I want to say maybe actually maybe six because he did win a few at Williams in his few seasons there. And then he won a few at Jordan and actually was technically in the title fight in 99 for a bit until Hakkinen and and Irvine sort of separated from the crew. But the, the, But going back to the original thought, that's a bold, bold statement that just be the two drivers come up through the through the, the ranks. And if you go just based on the stopwatch, Michael Schumacher would never have had a career. Well, maybe he wasn't saying that, but I, I think that's that's a good way to look at it because nowadays that's how it's going. Yeah, there are some crappy pay drivers in there. Zhou Guanyu, uh, Logan Sargent, and Lance Stroll, in my opinion, Yuki Tsunoda, that don't really deserve to be there. And... Uh, and based on just the stopwatch, 
for the rest of the drivers, they they, they just they put them in based on this this and this notion that they're quick, and if they're quick, they deserve to be in that car. And I don't necessarily think that's the best metric, because like I just said, everybody's technically quick; they all deserve to be there. What should separate someone from being just a Formula Two, Formula Three driver, or just an everyday racing driver, sports driver, sporting driver, I should say, is there is their ability to become one with the car and one with the team. One with the team means you know how to work with the engineers. You can tell the engineers what you want in the car. Max Verstappen knows how to do that. That's why he's the best driver. That's why he's head and shoulders above everybody since 2021 because the entire rest of the grid in my opinion is a bunch of spoiled brats who just need the engineers and the team to set up a car for them they can give some feedback and they say oh this doesn't feel good this doesn't do that can we can we adjust this can we adjust that but they can never take that next step because they don't understand how to work with the engineers and work with their setup there's an excellent interview, and this and this will go into the second point, but there's an excellent interview with Jos Verstappen on YouTube somewhere. He talks about how he how we train Max. I, I should I'll find it and I'll probably post it to the podcast description. About about how he would purposely mess things up in the cart for Max when he was training. Purposely mess things up in a way it's like, okay, go out and drive this car. What do you think? And his hope was that Max would go around the circuit, try and do things the way he used to, and be like, what the hell? What's wrong with the setup? Why can't I take that turn like I normally could? Why can't I go this speed anymore? It's because Yas was trying to train him and say, feel the car. Feel what you need in the car, and we'll apply the adjustments based on what you need in the car. You're naturally fast, yes, like everybody. But what's going to make you exceptional is your ability to build the car your way. And and through that, you will find extra tenths here and there. You'll find extra hundreds. You'll find ways of, of taking lines differently, being in that cart a lot. But you have to know what you need in every nut and bolt in that car in order to maximize your abilities. And a lot of drivers don't do that. A lot of drivers just have sponsorship. They come in, they... They look at the data. They look at, the, at where their braking zone is, their ideal, their ideal lines. They look at the at the metrics of saying, okay, if you brake later here, or they look at the graphs, which I'm not well versed in these graphs to be completely honest. But from my understanding, they look at the graphs, and the graphs will show them the ideal braking zone, their speed in certain corners, uh, if they're braking late or early, or if they can brake at a certain point. And 99% of drivers are following the same data, being the same type of driver, and not really reaching that next level that Verstappen has. And I brought up that interview because it also brings me to that second point, which is the feel. And the best drivers, especially in the last 30, 40 years, the Schumachers, the Vettels, the, uh, I guess it's really just Schumacher, Vettel, and Verstappen, in my, in my opinion, who took it to that next level, the rest of them, like the, the Raikkonen's, Alonso's, Hamilton's, Rosberg's, they were, they were products of, 
of a different time of a of my opinion the worst period of formula one history which is 2009 to 2016 around there and the only reason i don't say 2009 to 2021 is because max verstappen was building something at red bull come 2016 so it's not like i was thoroughly enjoying the racing from 2016 to 2021 but I recognize the, the importance of what Max Verstappen was doing at Red Bull all those years. So we'll, get, we'll just make, say, it's seven years, which is the worst period where you saw the reduction of... The, there's no more free fueling. There's no more... Well, there's only one uh, tire manufacturer. You saw that happen in that period. You saw uh, two different regulation changes, one from, from V8s in 2009 to turbo hybrid v6s in 2014 and you just saw one team in both those eras run away with it 2009 to 2013 you saw red bull and then and well braun too but they were an outlier not the the exception not the rule and then you saw 2014 to 2020 you saw mercedes one team win and there was i guess you could say title fights from vettel in the later years in Ferrari 2017-2018, which made it somewhat interesting, but it was never really a challenge, never really, he was never really there. He was never really going to win, was he? And we knew it, but for the sake of Formula One, just trying to grasp at any type of title fight and viewership, which which I imagine severely declined in those years, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they they pale in comparison to the 2000s, 2000s when they said Schumacher was ruining the the sport. I, yeah, once again, I have my inklings about that, and I sort of spoke it in the last podcast. But the, <clears throat> I'm I'm obviously once again off topic, so let's get back on the feel of the car is something Schumacher spoke about in his doc in the documentary. And he didn't speak it, unfortunately, but it was an old quote of him saying, you get to a point where you can feel what the car needs and you become one with the car. And then you become as fast as you possibly can. And a lot of these drivers these days aren't doing that. Once again, 99% of the drivers, it's probably 99.99. If you consider that right now, there's one of 20 in Verstappen who's doing that. And one in, probably all the first three leagues right now who's doing something like that. One driver. So it probably is 99.9 that cannot do what he's doing, which is why he's head and shoulders above everybody. That's A lot of these drivers, they're qualifying within this range these days. You see it in, in Q1, Q2, Q3. They're all within a range. They're all within a couple tenths of each other. But then there's Max Verstappen, who's sometimes eight tenths faster than them on certain courses, and then people say, it's the car, the car is just really good. Well, first off, Perez is not doing that. So don't start saying it's just the car, because this is Max's car. It was built around him as per the last point. He helped develop the car. It's his car. It's what he wants in the car. This is why he's maximizing the most out of it. Perez hasn't figured that out. Maybe he can't. Maybe he's handcuffed by the fact that it's Verstappen's team. But but also, how do I say this? But also, he's not he's not just head and shoulders ahead because because of the car. He's also head and shoulders 
ahead uh, ahead of his of his next competitor. And sometimes, the, like the Ferrari in twenty twenty two, was way faster, not way, but faster at one point than the Red Bull. And still, he was maximizing his pole. Still, he was maximizing his times. Charles Leclerc couldn't keep up with his development. Charles Leclerc would be qualifying very fast in the in the first half of the season. He would be the faster car. He threw away a lot of races too, and some Ferrari reliabilities cost him. But Verstappen was building something in that car. Verstappen was finding the extra the extra time in that car, becoming one with the car, but also developing the car where he needed to be. And that's why the second half upgrades from Belgium in 2022 on, Red Bull just became completely dominant. People say there was a title fight in 2022. Max Verstappen still won 15 races. That's not, that doesn't sound like a title fight to me. Set the record. Then the then record. Now the, the record of 19, I think, will be bested by him, in my opinion, in 2024. But that's it, isn't it? It's, it's this ability to, be, to become one with the car, to understand what the car needs that a lot of drivers don't have. So they hide. So the mainstream Formula One media hides behind this notion of quick. Well, the drivers quick. Look at their times. Look at all Oliver Bierman's times in the Haas this year in, in testing. It's only a couple of tens off of Magnussen and Hulkenberg. First off, if that's your metric, your team needs to dissolve because Ma- Magnussen and Hulkenberg are not great standards to keep up with. Second, second off, does this quickness? extrapolate onto the fact that he can help take the Haas another step. Could he step into that Haas in races and within a season, could it be faster? Is he going to be better? Or is he just going to be somewhat faster than them? And then development keeps going backwards. That remains to be seen. And I think that should be the metric that technical directors, the mainstream Formula One media should be looking at. Not whether they're, they're quick, which, by the way, quick just in their mind means a driver that they like, that they follow their career, that they want to see on the grid. They're picking and choosing what they want. There's, it's for many reasons. One, the main reason, I think, is because that driver has been groomed in that environment and knows not to say anything controversial, anything stupid, anything that will challenge their authority. The FIA, the mainstream F1 media, the the owners, the technical directors, the paddock. Like you don't see anybody saying anything controversial anymore. So, but suddenly they're quick. And greatest example of that is Oscar Piastri, the calm one. Right now, I think he's really good. I think he is really good, but let's look. Let's look at his career and Nick DeVries' career in the first ten seasons of the Formula One season last year in twenty twenty three. Both were considered very quick. The drive to survive, the Will Buxton, that moron, went as far as to say that Nick DeVries is the real deal. Yeah, I wonder how that worked out for you. I want. I wonder if you're ever going to be chastised for that by the rest of the Formula One media. That's that's why I created this podcast, because I hear stuff like that, and I think, oh, someone needs to take him down a peg for just making stuff up, for just pulling stuff out of his ass and not getting challenged on it. Nick DeVries was never the real deal. Nick DeVries came ninth in a Williams that was set up very well in Alex Albon's car for that in Monza race in 2022. Good for him. 
Very impressive. Did he deserve a C? Maybe, maybe not. Clearly, Horner didn't think so. Clearly, Toast didn't think so. Marco pushed it on them, and then they got rid of him as quickly as possible because the, the results didn't keep up. Piastri is another thing where everybody, another one that they just wanted there, they all talked about him. The hype was all there. He was calm. He was poised. He was mature for his age. He was fast. He was back-to-back F3, F2 champion. McLaren fought over him and ruined their reputation in the paddock to get this driver. Now, it worked out. It worked out, but let's look at both of their first 10 races in 2022. Both are, by the way, quick. De Vries struggles, obviously. Doesn't get anywhere near the points. I think his best was 12th in Monaco, which they said was his best race of the season, or, or AlphaTauri said that in Red Bull. It was clearly his best race of the season. Came 12th. Piastri came 10th in that race, only two positions ahead of him with a better car. And now the McLaren wasn't good at that point, but I would say it was still slightly better than the AlphaTauri. Good job for Piastri, by the way. It's a very poised 10th and a tough track. We're going to give him that. I'm not shitting on Piastri, by the way. I think he's really good. I think he deserves to be in the paddock. I think he deserves to be there. I'm just, I'm making a point is that he's worshipped for for stuff that isn't any necessarily special, anything necessarily special. I think time will tell if he's really good, but I don't, as of right now, if you ask me, I don't think I see a champion in him because he's not necessarily a great developer. It had nothing to do with him, the McLaren surge. It's the self-described as figured out by the engineers. Now, him and Norris are exceptional. Maybe they did help with some of it. But it doesn't sound like it based on what we're hearing out of the news, out of the paddock, out of McLaren, out of the like people in the know saying that it was a lot had a lot to do with Stella, with his engineering ability and, and the other engineers. And there's a clear gap from like them barely fighting for the top 10 to suddenly fighting for first. I don't think drivers really do that. Schumacher was the closest to being able to do that, but still Ferrari was, I think when he came in, a top three or top four constructor that by the end of 96 was winning races. And I still think he's the best developer of all time. He's the best example of what I'm talking today. I think Verstappen has the ability to usurp him. Maybe. I think if Verstappen builds up a a bad car, we can consider him in that same realm. But time will tell. But anyways, I'm back to Piastri and De Vries. Piastri in the first 10 races, outside of the points, not really qualifying anything special. Not much better than De Vries. I think he had one good qualifying in the second race in Saudi Arabia. He came 8th, but then disappeared after damage early on and, and never recovered. Whereas De Vries crashed in Australia when he could have easily gotten points after that whole ruckus. So he crashed into Logan Sargent and made a a mistake, which is what rookies do. And otherwise, he would have been probably awarded points very similar to Piastri, who was awarded an eighth, didn't earn an eighth in, in Australia. It was an award. It was given for after all the penalties, after all the ruckus, after four cars go out on that restart, and and Science gets a penalty. Piastri instead of finishing thirteenth, finishes eighth. De Vries is one of those people I think who were ahead of him at the time who 
who ended up finishing behind because he crashed. No. So the what I'm point I'm trying to make is is when you actually look at it, there's not much of a difference between the two of the drivers in that first half. So why does DeVries get sacked and why does Pastry keep his job and, and is allowed to reward the uh, reap the benefits of the of the engineering rewards from McLaren in the second half? It's it's because well, there's a lot of reasons. I think DeVries was a war between Horner and Marco. That's one. But another one is just that the the clock had run out on DeVries. The mainstream the mainstream Formula One media had turned sour on him and wasn't defending him anymore, whereas they were still defending Piastri. And it's on this notion of quick. Are they quick? Well, they're that's what I'm saying. They weren't not they weren't much quicker. So. If you if you look at it, they, are we going to judge everybody based off of what we see in Piastri going forward? Are we going to have pit drivers on the grid based on Piastri going forward? Because you might easily end up with someone like Nick DeVries if you do that. Not everybody's going to be Oscar Piastri. I don't even think Oscar Piastri is what they say Oscar Piastri is. Oscar. I keep saying Oscar. So... Why, why do they keep using this notion of quick? Well, like I said already, it's because it's who they're deciding. It's, it's like this no, name or this, this label that they're giving them to decide who they, who they like, who they want there. And the problem with that is that it's keeping actual championship-level drivers out of Formula One. Because not all of the drivers are quick. By the way, Max Verstappen, champion right now. Three-time world champion, going to be four next year. Dominant. Set the record 10 times over in 2023. Record for race wins, laps led, qualifying, all that. Like anything you can imagine, he set the record on. By the way, terrible qualifier in F3. Terrible qualifier in F3. Qualifying was not his forte until... until he reached Red Bull in 2016, even at Alpha Tauri. He wasn't necessarily good qualifying. Yas Verstappen admits that, admits that in one, in one of his interviews. He says he always struggled in qualifying. He wasn't a naturally quick driver, but he was an excellent racer. And he felt the car during the race, and he could do it over 50, 60 laps. If you judge just dri- drivers just off of the stopwatch, you're going to miss people like that. I think right now, Formula One is missing a Mick Schumacher right now. And yes, I did state that one of my major goals of this podcast is to get him back on the Formula One grid, so I'm a little biased. However, he has the blood of someone who's a great developer. And it was even said, I said this in the last podcast, it was said by the chief engineer of Haas, he gave us great information, great stuff to develop on, great stuff to work on. He was a great race, he had great race pace, and he was learning. So why are they? Why aren't they looking for more racers like Mick Schumacher? And now they're going default Oscar Piastri. And this is another thing I brought up on the last podcast: is that a driver who crashes is not necessarily a bad driver. You need you need to learn how to crash. You need to learn how to test your limits. Piastri, I think, to me, his biggest drawback is that he hasn't tested his limits. He's very calm. He's very poised. He'll, he'll rather take a comfortable fifth then fight for that third or fight even for second. 
and he'll only win. Like when he won the sprint race, the car was just naturally faster than everybody that day. It wasn't necessarily anything he did. And I, I just think like you miss a lot of drivers by working on that metric. You miss a lot of drivers just by thinking uh, there's a driver that will just calmly do his job because this is an adrenaline-based sport, a fast sport, a, a split-second sport. You need someone with aggression. You need someone who's willing to go for it and maybe fail and to just say they're quick and be happy with a, a, a top 10 finish because they're quick in maybe quote-unquote bad cars, which the way the Formula One regulations have been set up since 2022, any, anybody can finish in the top 10 right now. If you're not regularly, you're, you don't deserve to be there. And that's another drawback, some would say, of, of Mick Schumacher is that he struggled again in the top 10. I, I don't think that's fair based on what I've talked about before, but but what I'm trying to say is the metric that they're basing the good drivers on is still off. Maybe he did struggle to get in the top 10, but he has the ability to develop with the car and grow with the car. More time would have shown the ability of Mick Schumacher. More time is not necessarily going to be great for Oscar Piastri. The jury's still out on him. I may be wrong on this one. He may get better with time. But I think you're kind of seeing his potential now, which is not necessarily a good thing. Because he's not a natural winner, it looks like. It doesn't seem to come natural to him. Ditto for Lando Norris, by the way. Who is, once again, another quick driver. But what's his major complaint? Well, I don't have the car to compete. Make the car. Make the car you want. Help develop the car you want. Work with the engineers. Tell the engineers what you want. Don't just sit there and say, my car is not fast enough. Max Verstappen's car wasn't fast enough from 2016 to 2020. It became fast because of his developmental abilities. For his feeling with the car. So you, you, this, this metric is being applied to all new young drivers of saying, okay, are they quick? Is the stopwatch there? The stopwatch doesn't lie. That's another thing uh, Eddie Jordan says a lot on his podcast, which I like, by the way. I'm not, I'm not arguing or debating with him. I'm just telling you my, where I think he, he may get this, or I disagree a little bit. He may not even necessarily get this wrong. He's a spectacular team director for what he was back in the day. With basically a shoestring budget, he created a great team. I shouldn't be arguing with him. I just, I think he says it and then he misses what he was saying. Like he said, well, Frenton was faster than Schumacher, was quicker than Schumacher. But who ended up being better? It's because Heinz Harold didn't know how to take that next step. He didn't know how to develop with that car. He didn't know how to grow with that car. He didn't know how to make the car one. That's the driver you look for. Just like how Red Bull saw the potential in Max Verstappen. I think it was some of it was Toast, maybe it was Marco, maybe it was Horner, maybe it was all three. But they, someone was working with Jos Verstappen and Jos probably explained to him what he was doing with Max and they said, okay, let's give him the shot because I think if, if we let him develop, as soon as we can, he will be even better. And it took seven years until he won a title. Don't forget that. Seven years. Five at Red Bull. So... 
if they based it off time, off of qualifying, off of quickness, they would have overlooked him. If he was just a name, if he was just a legacy, no, he was, Jos Verstappen was creating a well, he was, he was, Max Verstappen was bred for racing. His mother was a great carter, one of the best carters in Europe. He was a Formula One driver, Jos Verstappen, and he was working with his son at a young age. They saw the potential there, but they didn't base it necessarily off of the stopwatch. He was a great racer, always, but didn't necessarily win. I don't even think he won F3. I should look that up before saying that, but I don't think he did. So remember that. Remember that you can miss a lot if you look from one metric, which I think has unfortunately become the dominant metric, which is, is the driver quick? Are they operating fast cars well? Okay, great. Great, like you, you can drive a fast car very well. Good. But are you able to build the cars in your image? Are you able to be a Max Verstappen where the engineers can build a car around you? And for 19 out of 20 drivers on the F1 grid right now, the answer is no. The answer is no. Because it doesn't seem to be working for Lando Norris. How many years at McLaren now? Great, he was faster than Daniel Ricciardo. Cool. Is he going to be a champion? He hasn't won a race yet. Maybe maybe I'm, I'll be wrong about that. Maybe I'll eat my words, but I'm saying, can't do it. What about Fernando Alonso? This is a this is a hot take, but he's not. Everywhere he goes doesn't necessarily develop the car better. He was given two titles in 2005-2006, and then after he won them, the Renault got worse. He goes to McLaren, doesn't win again, the McLaren, he leaves, goes to Renault, the Renault doesn't get better, goes to Ferrari, Ferrari got a little better under him, but it seemed to be at a steady, small, incremental pace, the 2010 to 2012, 2013 era, he had two chances to win, lost both, and then those years in between, the 2011-2013, was way behind. I don't think it was him doing any adjustments or any upgrades at that Ferrari. But he, but the Ferrari did not get better. And then come 2014, after all that development from the 2010 to 2013 seasons, falls off a cliff. He doesn't have it. I don't think he has that 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 part of him. I think he's a great driver. He's exceptional. He'll go down, I guess, as one of the best with two titles and the long the longevity that he's shown, which is which is great, which is exceptional. But he's not he's not the developer. He can't the team can't be built around him. He won't find those extra hundreds and tens that Verstappen will find by becoming one with the car with small adjustments. He's not like that. He's never been. He needs he needs his car built for him. And this is going to be the hottest take of all. That's the exact same with Lewis Hamilton. That unless everything lines up perfectly for Lewis Hamilton, it doesn't happen. You're seeing it in the last two years. He'll complain about all the little tire strategies, all the little things. He'll say, they didn't listen to me. 
Mercedes didn't listen to me in 2022 and 23. They didn't listen to what I wanted. And that's where we are now. It's because they never listened to you. They built an amazing car and you just drove it exceptionally and won seven, six titles with them. But it wasn't because of what you did. It was just your ability to drive great cars well. Good work. Good work. But you couldn't do that at McLaren from, 20, from 2009 to 2013. McLaren, like, like Alonso, stayed pretty stagnant. It's pretty stagnant. There wasn't much going on there. Never, never pushed them over the edge. It's a hot take. I'll, you guys can give me your take on that too. But I, I just feel that some some drivers are exceptional, but they can't take that next step. And that's Hamilton, Alonso. That's Russell these days. That's the the Damon Hills. That's the Jacques Villeneuve's. That's the. I don't know who else, who else came up during that time. That's the Felipe Massas. That's arguably the Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi seemed to have some ability to to help develop and make a bad car better, like he like he showed at Lotus. But he was also incredibly lazy. I, I don't really count him in any category that I just mentioned. But he's a, he's an exception. If he if he wasn't lazy, if he gave a fuck, I think he would he would have won three or four titles realistically, because he shouldn't have thrown away 2008 to Massa. I don't know why he just fell off a cliff that year. And then he should have stayed in Formula One 2009, 2010-11, gone maybe to a better team or maybe helped Ferrari get better. And if he was in that car, not Alonso, he probably would have pulled a rabbit out of the hat. He probably could have gotten past Vitaly Petrov after 30 laps in 2010 Abu Dhabi. I just think he, he threw it away. He threw away his talent. So I'm, I'll put him in another another category. But yeah, like, and then the rest of the drivers, like obviously, uh, who, who else is there? Russell, can't do it. Uh, who else am I missing here? Uh, Valtteri Bottas definitely can't do it. Uh, there's There's got to be a lot of... Sergio Perez can't do it. And I think in his case... He's never been really given the keys to any team, so we can't necessarily blame him. But no, but no driver on this grid is getting better with the team that that they're at with slow adjustments. Actually, Alex Albon, you could argue, is definitely doing that at Williams. And once again, he was overlooked, banished by Red Bull. Back go back to your reserve driver for a year. He had to get a lifeline from Williams, and now he's proving what he can do at Williams, but based on quote-unquote quickness, he wasn't as quick as Max. He wasn't necessarily doing a better job than Pierre Gasly. Esteban Alcon, uh, Este, uh, Pierre Gasly was at Red Bull, so they got rid of him too to get someone experienced like Sergio Perez, who was arguably quote-unquote quicker, but how's that working out now? I think Red Bull really regrets that decision. So yeah, I guess, okay, so there is two of 20 drivers, so there's one-tenth. 10% right now who couldn't do that on the Formula 1 grid. Two of uh, however many in Formula 2 and Formula 3. And the jury's still out on Alex Albon to see if he can take them to another step again next year. If he does, I will shut up. I will shut up about Alex Albon. I will just say nothing but nice things. I'm still slightly skeptical. He had a great season in 2023, but let's hold off on the worshipping on him. 
Let's hold off on that for just a bit. I want to see if you can keep it up. So did you get my point from this podcast? Did you get my point of what I'm trying to say? That based on metrics of just quick, you might miss great drivers. I think Formula One should have a healthy balance of both. I think you should have a healthy balance of, of, of technical directors, not just going off of the same metric. Because 99% of the drivers that are coming through right now are all going off of the same metrics. They're all going off of the same data. They're all going off of the same graphs. They're all going off of the same abilities of can they drive a fast car faster and not necessarily make it better in their image. Did you get what I was trying to say? I know these rants aren't necessarily supposed to make complete sense. They're supposed to be like a whole bunch of verbal diarrhea that do, where you find chunks of, of smart uh, comments. But I, but I feel like this needs to be said because nobody else is saying it. This is what this podcast was made for. It was to, for somebody to finally say, maybe you guys are getting some things wrong. Maybe you're missing some things that are right in front of you. Formula One media, Formula One, FIA, the, the whole group, the technical directors, the paddock. Maybe you're missing a few things. Maybe you should relook at Mick Schumacher. Maybe you shouldn't take advice from someone like Gunther Steiner, who, by the way, came out and said Piastri is the new model of Formula One driver, just someone who's calm, who, who's poised, who just brings the car home. That's what we want in new rookies. I think he's finally softening up for the idea of rookies again because he saw his, his veteran drivers poop their pants very violently in 2023. Very disgustingly. And I think he's slowly warming up to the idea of maybe I need another rookie, but he's looking at the wrong metric of rookie again. Somebody fire this guy for the lo- for the love of God. Somebody's got to just step in and get this guy fired. I hope it's me. I, ho- I hope I'm able with this podcast at some point to have enough influence that I can get that guy fired. Him fired, Mick Schumacher back on the grid. Those are my two main goals of this podcast. But yeah, he's getting it wrong again. He's looking at Piastri as his model. Well, you had someone who could have helped you build your car slowly, better, put it in the right direction. That's, wasn't that supposed to be Hulkenberg? Oops. Wasn't that supposed to be Magnussen? Oops. So yeah, good luck. And to the rest of the Formula One grid, look past just the stopwatch. We'll start, we'll end this podcast the way it started. Who was better? Michael Schumacher or Heinz Heldfrenson? Who was the better option? I don't know. You tell me. I think it's pretty obvious who the answer is. But based on the stopwatch, it was Heinz Heldfrenson. Would that have been the right thing for Eddie Jordan to do, to never give Michael Schumacher that chance? And it was Frenson whose career started in 91 and never became the seven-time world champion? Never signed by Benetton? Benetton never gets two titles, two constructors. History changes completely. How many of those stories are we missing because they're all looking at the same data? This has a lot to do with what's ailing the world these days. I think you see a lot of you see a lot of people overlooking the creativity in humanity for this unconscious incompetence. This, do they read the data well? Do they 
take the car home? Do they drive along the lines that we want? Are they able to take our, our product and drive it the way we want it to without thinking it, it may not be the best、uh, solution for them? You see that in almost every sport. You see that in European soccer and European football. Guardiola effect. You have a lot of good players overlooked because he wants just a bunch of mindless, fast paced,、uh, quick players who pass the ball very fast and go along his system. You see that in basketball. Everybody became Greg Popovich, the San Antonio Spurs, in 2002. He made a new system where everybody can play it. A lot of passing, a lot of moves, a, a lot of movement, not moves, but a lot of movement. No more one on one, no more ISO. No more Michael Jordan creativity, reaching new bounds. No, just everybody play along the system, pass the ball around. It's boring, but it wins. It's boring, but it wins. Don't think. Don't you start thinking. Don't you start having sparks of creativity. Play in the system. It's the same with Formula One. Are you playing in their game? Are you playing with what they want? Are you working with what they want to see out of the car? Or are you making the car in your image? I'll end on this. There was an excellent interview by White, White Chocolate himself, Jason Williams, where he talked about a lot of kids these days in basketball. They, instead of working on creative things, instead of imagining themselves on the court and thinking, how would I, how would I work in this situation? What would I do? How would I get myself out of this situation? How can I create a pass or a, a way to, to configure myself? Out of a bad spot? Or how can I, or what's a, a, an interesting move I can build in my skill set that'll help me leaps and bounds and it's creative and it's, and it's magical and it's a, a spark of, of genius? Like he used to have. He used to have amazing passes, the behind the back passes. The, he created a lot of that. And he said, no, a lot of the new kids coming up in the gym, they just go with their trainer, they work on seven, six or seven fundamentals, and that's it. They're not working on their creativity, they're not developing their mind. And that's, that's such a genius comment because it's, it's what's going on in every major sport, it's going on with, in every major、uh, industry automotive, economics, you name it.、It's, there's there's less focus on creativity, on individual sparks of genius, and more on just working in the structure. And Sean and I are going to talk about this in another podcast of, of do you believe in Formula One development or do you believe in the old fashioned way of Formula One? I will always be a proponent of the old fashioned Formula One because it did create, have the most creativity. You had the most sparks of genius in engineering. You pushed the automotive industry forward. Whereas someone like Sean will say, no, there's new standards. Let's develop on those new standards. But who are those standards benefiting? I would ask. And I shouldn't talk anymore about that because Sean will want to get his point in. But, anyways, tell me what you think. Do you think、uh, they're missing out on a lot of great Formula One drivers? Are they overvaluing a lot of the, the names that everybody's talking about, like the Frederick Vestes, the、uh, Felipe Drogovic's, the Jack Duhans, the Oliver Biermans, the people like that? To me, they all look the same. They could easily be Nick DeVries. They can easily be Oscar Piastri. Who cares either way? None of them look like Max Verstappen. 
None of them look like Michael Schumacher. None of them look like Sebastian Vettel. Anyways, tell me what you think. I'll catch you on the next one. I have a lot of these rants to get through. A lot. There's a lot on my mind. This Formula One therapy is for me, not you. I hope you enjoy it, though. Have a good night.